0: It's good news. It's definitely good news this morning. A new DNA editing technique means that some inherited conditions caused by a single defective gene can be eliminated at embryonic stage, thus producing not just a healthy baby, but healthy generations of babies and yet there are anxieties. Just a year ago, the United Kingdom approved a new technique in which fatal mitochondrial conditions could be eliminated by swapping around mitochondria before fertilisation, creating a three-parent baby. These techniques eliminate suffering, but do raise ethical questions, many of which we intend to explore this morning. And in studio with me, Dave McConnell is Professor of Genetics at Trinity College Dublin, Gerard Casey, Professor of Philosophy at UCD, and Dr. John Waterston is the Medical director of the Waterstone Clinic, and that's a fertility and IVF clinic all around Ireland. Um, Dave McConnell, could you perhaps uh, kick off by explaining to us what is CRISPR and what has it done that's so different in this field?
1: Well, it's a technology which was uh, discovered by bacterial geneticists, which is interesting. They didn't quite know what they would discovered, but it then gradually became clear what it is and it has been adapted and modified ever since to become quite an extraordinary method by which you can change a single genetic code word in, say, the 6 billion which exist in a human cell Uh, and just change that code word from one letter as it is to another. You know, probably most people know that the genetic code has four letters, A, T, C, and G. Sometimes an A is replaced, say, by a C, and that is what we call a mutation, and sometimes that's very damaging. But the CRISPR technology allows people in principle, to treat a cell in such a way that you can change one genetic letter to a different genetic letter.
0: And explain to me briefly as well, what is somatic editing and germline editing and the significance of this breakthrough in that context? Well, it's a
1: very big difference. Uh, The soma is another word for the body of a person. So if you change a cell from an adult body, say you take out a bone marrow cell and change The genetic, the gene, a gene in that bone marrow cell, that is somatic gene editing. Uh, Germline gene editing is changing a uh, single base in a germline cell, either in principle a sperm or an egg, an unfertilized egg, or a fertilized egg. And uh, the excitement at present comes from this work reported recently, whereby some people did change a gene, a single base out of six billion in a fertilised egg. So the the concerns, the ethical concerns are I think less for perhaps even not existing for somatic uh, gene uh, editing but for germline gene editing there's a lot of concern.
0: Okay, so John Waterstone um, what does this mean for couples who are at um, high risk of having a baby with particular inherited diseases?
2: Well, you, this is what we need to do. We need to consider uh, the kind of patients, the kind of, of people uh, who may be helped by this proposed technology, this, this germline gene editing technology. Uh, and it's couples who are known to be at high genetic risk. Uh, there are some couples and unfortunately they only find out that they are at high risk when they've had an affected baby. But they suddenly realise that one of one of them or possibly both of them are carrying a mutation which has got a harmful effect. Uh, and the most common situation in Ireland that we would all be aware of is cystic fibrosis, because that mutation is quite a common one in Ireland. One in twenty of us carry a, a mutant a CF gene, and that means that the couple know that if they have more children together, uh, that there is a substantial risk. And usually, it's a twenty-five percent or a fifty percent risk that any future child will be affected. So that puts those couples in in a, a major quandary. They have to face really important and stressful reproductive choices that most of us in the population don't have to face at all so sometimes they're so upset that they don't they choose not to have any more children at all sometimes they choose to use donor sperm or donor egg and, and those sort of treatments uh, we, we carry out in our unit uh, sometimes they play Russian roulette and they just get get pregnant willy-nilly and don't do any tests and hope that they are in the lucky uh, 75% for sitting fibrosis or 50% for other conditions uh, or they can get pregnant naturally and do the old-fashioned but not very uh, nice and to some couples totally unacceptable route of testing the pregnancy once it's established to find out whether it's affected by this genetic disease. And you can do that by doing CVS, chorionic villus sampling at 11 weeks or by amniocentesis at 15 weeks and then you have the very difficult choice that if, unfortunately, the, the pregnancy in, in question is affected, do you opt for termination, do you not? Um, more recently still, historically speaking, for these couples who are at genetic risk, uh, The next advent was PGD, pre implantation genetic diagnosis, uh, and that's the treatment that we carry out in our unit uh, in Cork, where our headquarters is. PGD has been around since 1990, so it's been around 27 years. There have been at least 1,500 babies born after PGD in Europe and more still in North America.
0: And what does that mean? That
2: means that the couples concerned, although they could conceive naturally because they're not infertile, they They're afraid to, so they choose to try and conceive through IVF technology. Uh, And a lot of listeners will probably, they may not be familiar with PGD, but they will be possibly more familiar with IVF. So when when IVF, which is usually chosen by couples who can't get pregnant at all, not who are afraid to get pregnant, uh, when couples who opt for uh, IVF go through the process, the woman's ovaries are stimulated so that instead of her producing a single mature egg at a time, a bunch of eggs is produced, uh, and the more for PGD, the better. But typically for a woman in her 30s, between 5 and 20 eggs are produced in one batch, in one one collection. Mm -hmm. Those eggs are collected, they're fertilized. And in the ordinary course of events, in ordinary IVF, if you like, uh, the best embryos are put back in the hope of, of getting a baby. But for PGD, it's ordinary IVF plus a twist. And the twist is genetic analysis of the embryos before we choose which ones to replace so these days we're doing it at the day five stage. So this is five days after fertilization. At that stage, the embryo is at the blastocyst stage. There are between 100 and 250 cells present in it. And the scientists in our unit, uh, they use a laser and they make a little hole in the shell that surrounds the blastocyst and they're able to extract between two and six cells from that embryo and we choose to take them from the part of the embryo which is going to form the placenta, not the inner cell mass which is going to produce the baby. And taking those cells away doesn't affect the ability of that blastocyst. It heals itself very quickly. It can go on to form a baby without any major disruption. And then the two to six cells we've taken out, uh, we send them off to a genetics lab in the UK. They multiply the DNA from that very tiny number of gene copies. You're only talking about a handful of copies. It's, it's remarkable science, really. And they can, they can multiply up the, the amount of DNA 100,000 fold using DNA polymerase. Mm-hmm. And then we can analyze the DNA to see whether the particular embryo that we've taken the biopsy from is affected by the disease that we're concerned about. And obviously, if the analysis shows that the embryo in question is, is, is affected, we don't put it back. We put back ones which are free of the disease. So it's a neat way for these couples at high genetic risk to avoid the disease that they are so concerned about. Uh, I mean, the scandal in this country is there isn't governmental support for it. In, in the UK, uh, the NHS will fund people who are uh, in these high-risk uh, situations they will they will fund them for PGD up to three cycles. In Ireland, we have no uh, regulations surrounding the area, and we have got no support for these unfortunate couples either.
0: So there have long been concerns about, say, the disposal of those embryos that aren't being used to be put back in the womb for one reason or another. In this case, because they've been diagnosed as being defective carriers of the you know these various conditions. Gene editing is a kind of progression then, isn't it? Because does this mean now you can take those defective embryos and actually
2: fix them? uh, This is proposing to go a step further. So it would inevitably involve the same IVF technology, choosing to reproduce, hopefully, through IVF, generating eggs, generating embryos. But then, rather than picking out the good ones from the the affected ones, uh, the far more radical concept of actually targeting the embryos that you are going to put back to try and produce a baby, which will then pass on the change that you've induced to its children forever, uh, you're, 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 you're proposing actually a, you know, interfering, tampering with, with the, the genetic blueprint and trying to fix the gene. But the question is, there are two questions. One, is it safe? Mm. Uh, and I would propose that in this present state of knowledge it's not safe because we don't know what other unnecessary off-target changes we're going to induce. And B, is it the only way to do it? And it's not because we can do PGD for just about every situation or 99.9% of the situations that you could use germline gene editing for, you can also do PGD for. Because these it's not as if these couples only produce bad embryos when you do IVF. They produce a mixture, good ones and bad ones. And so there always are good embryos. You just have to find them by analysing them.
0: Is it moral progress, though, to fix the flawed embryos rather than disposing of them?
2: It all depends on a myriad of ethical questions. What mm. is the moral and legal status of the human pre-implantation embryo? Uh, that hasn't been decided in legislature in this country, but it has gone to the High Court and the Supreme Court, and it's certainly been decided that the human pre-implantation embryo does not, is not afforded constitutional protection uh, as the unborn, because that, as they went to the highest courts in the land. But I personally don't have an ethical problem with this, this approach. What I'm worried about is, is it safe? And are there simpler and cheaper and, and just as effective ways of doing the same job? I think there are. I think PGD... Is what we need to use, and I think we need to use it more freely, and I think it needs to be state funded.
0: Jared Casey, what do you make of all of this? I thought <laughs>
3: you'd come to me. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it is very complicated. Look, um, I think we can all understand and sympathize with, with people who either themselves or have relatives or are potential children. We suffer from a, a range of, of awful. Conditions okay. Cystic fibrosis just mentioned, but you know Huntington's and and Parkinson's and and so on, and and so other things. Be equal if there were if there were no moral or or practical problems with any issue, then nobody's going to say stop. You're going to just say go ahead and do it. Right. The problem is that that's not quite the case. As John has very eloquently demonstrated here, I mean, uh, in particular cases, for example, uh, and so on, assuming you don't have problems with IVF or PGD, then that will take care of a particular problem for a particular couple who are carrying uh, the conditions that, you know, that could effectively produce a child and offspring with a particularly horrendous disease. There are... The the ethical problems, it seems to me, are, are, are they're on different levels. The first ones have to do, I mean, they're they're the old ones, so they have to do with whether or not you think IVF is permissible and the disposal of of surplus embryos and so on and so forth. And PGD is just is a variant on that. So, but but that's that's an issue in and of itself, and that's not something I really want to talk about today. But I mean, if you have the point is, if you think that's problematic, then anything that follows consequentially from that is going to be problematic as well. If you don't, then it's an open question whether or what follows from that is problematic. The problem with um, the problem, it seems to me in here, I, I really have to put my hands up and say, I'm not I'm not a scientist. I'm not a geneticist and so on. So I can easily make a fool of myself. I've done it occasion, so, on other occasions. But this <laughs> one, the chances of doing so are spectacular. But the, from, from what I've read, it seems to me that the situation is actually more complex than you would think in terms. So on. I mean, you could have the wrong impression. You might think, for example, sort of genes are just sort of laid out like toys on a shelf, you know, and you can simply pick one and take it out right it's not quite as simple as that there are a lot of genes and they have like in uh, in the in the, in the human genome and you know base, the bases on any particular gene are extraordinary and this particular technology affects only a very short uh, number of bases uh, in 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 a particular gene. The other thing is has to do with the unintended consequences and again t- uh, on the basis of the little bit of research I did, it seems to me that the the one reported case uh, which attempted to do this on a human embryo had uh, had more or less disastrous consequences elsewhere. In another reported case on mice, they were while they attempted while they dealt with one particular gene, there were something like twenty thousand inadvertent mutations. And mm. well, that's a problem. Okay, so that looks like you're sort of you're taking you're using TNT. You know, dynamite was to there open an example? The
0: was there an example of if you try to cure sickle cell anemia, you end up creating malaria problem? What was well, that? No, 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 not.
3: That's
1: was
0: a
2: different? Disease, I think it different? Oh, that,
0: that was somatic. Oh, not in the. So the far as I know, it was somatic. In yeah. fact, it, it,
1: I hope it is being uh, experimented on because I think it is something which can be, in principle, applied, even given Jared's uh, uh, qualifications, which I share. Yeah. So these off target. Uh, so-called off-target effects of CRISPR are a very serious matter. And uh, John has said, of course, that uh, this applies in a very serious way to embryos, but it also applies to somatic CRISPR technology. You know, you could possibly uh, take cells from a person who has sickle cell and generate cells which no longer have sickle cell. Uh, But uh, can you be sure uh, that the CRISPR technology has not introduced other changes into those cells? Now, but that's that's all to be worked on. And uh, and then in the end, of course, you have to ask whether the risk of something uh, off-target happening is worse uh, than the condition of sickle cell.
0: And presumably, Derek Casey, you can only find out if you... Basically, experiment on well, human beings. Well, as the
3: Americans say, inadequately suck it and see. Yeah, is, you could, you, you'd you actually have to. You, but that's a bit unfair uh, using a term "suck it and
1: see." I mean, this is this is a work which is very carefully carried out by no, people no, who I, have a genuine interest I in it. Yeah, but, oh yeah, I,
0: okay, so fine. Uh, if we put I've, aside the term, but the point stands that we just won't know until you actually try this out, until babies are born and you watch them grow and see well, what are the consequences. And well, I think John has
1: pointed out uh, to mm. us all, um, as Jared said. Most eloquently, that this is a, 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 com, a com, is not, I think, likely uh, to be used to any great degree for a very long time, if ever, because PGD is a perfectly successful technology, which itself is, however, difficult mm. and complex, and so we would be far better, as, as I have written recently, far better trying to improve. Uh, the outcome of IVF, which many people would know is not a perfect uh, technology, and PGD, which is very difficult, even though, as John says, in principle, it can be applied to virtually every genetic mutation that we know about. So let's focus on what is likely to lead, in my opinion, would be let's focus on what we really can, try, uh, can do for people who face these terrible risks. So rather than uh, trying to build up uh, gene editing of uh, of embryos into something special. You know, I, I think it has been blown I, out of all proportion. Yeah, but may,
0: <laughs> maybe that's just because. It's now, and yet man is insatiably curious. We do keep trying these things. I mean, extraordinary things are being done now around conception that, you know, we couldn't have imagined uh, decades ago. Sure. So, so for at least the, the, the philosophical exercise, let's ask a couple <laughs> of questions. Now, here's one that uh, arose. There's a fantastic conversation going on about this on theatlantic.com. Um, and one of the questions being asked is, if this becomes feasible... John, I might put this to you first. If this becomes feasible, does it become like, um, Say, say right now there are uh, kinds of Christians or maybe Jehovah's Witness or Christian scientists who don't believe um, that you should do various medical procedures because it's against their religion. And they can actually be prosecuted for withholding medical treatment and maybe allowing their children to die. We see it here from time to time. Um, hospitals go to court to force courts um, to allow certain procedures to be carried out. Now, if this gene editing can be done, and if it becomes possible to eliminate these inherited diseases, do people who don't want to get it done, do they become these holdouts like anti-vaxxers, like Christian fundamentalists, who could actually be seen as abusing their children by refusing to get this kind of therapy done? I know it seems <laughs> maybe 50 uh, you're years you're down the line. You're already supposing
2: that we are going to introduce the, this this technology for reproductive purposes. I don't believe it ever should be, personally and at least there should be a moratorium put on for decades before we even consider it what to me is most remarkable is is that there hasn't been more of a hue and cry about the whole issue i mean if you it's interesting for any of the interested listeners uh, there was a, an international summit about germline uh, yeah. gene editing held in washington dc last december december 16 uh, and if you Google this, you'll, you'll you'll get the, the reports of what happened then. But 500 experts from the United States, uh, doctors and scientists uh, from England, uh, from UK and, and from China met and they discussed the whole issue. And some of them felt so strongly that this was a step into the unknown and had so much unknown and, and possible risk that really it should be banned by the United Nations worldwide forever. Right. So some people had that negative a view about it. But at the end of the day, that the 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 conference, what they, they what they emerged with was not an interdiction, not a saying we should never go there, not even saying we should hold it, but more or less an open-ended uh, attitude towards. Mm using it for reproductive purposes. And it's so radical. I mean, there's been such a hue and cry about other issues of reproductive medicine. And this, which is the most radical thing that human beings have ever entertained, it hasn't really generated a whole lot of debate. But I can
0: see why, Jared, because you're offering people a cure for these terrible, uncurable or incurable diseases. So who would be the terrible person that that, would say, no, you shouldn't do this? It's
3: it's, it's presented. And I'm not not saying necessarily by the people doing the research on the ground but certainly in the in the media it's presented if you like as the magic bullet solution. Yeah. Okay, the silver bullet. You can simply put it in t- and then you say who in their right minds wouldn't want this. The problem is that the reservations have been expressed not by Jehovah's witnesses or Christian fundamentalists as you call them. Um, but there was I, I came across a paper in nature for example, a very prestigious uh, journal where the people working in the area for example expressed really fundamental reservations, just as John has done about this. Now I'm not in a position, obviously, to, to, to say that but I mean, I think it's interesting that the reservations being expressed are coming not from people outside or, yeah. or from some cranky body, but actually from within the scientific community itself. And by the way, could I say when I say second and see, yeah. I don't mean anything derogatory, I mean in the sense oh, yeah. that yeah. If, you, if you carry this through, you, you, you know you have, to, you do, you have to, see, to see actually what the consequences are. And I would believe in fact that, that if you were to pursue, whether it's desirable or not, that people would Find the technique, and you would be able to maybe perhaps eliminate, in principle at least, uh, unintended consequences. But that's an open question. Okay, yeah. if you weren't, then uh, then it would be then it would seem that you would have to abandon that as a therapeutic. thing But I, I agree with my colleagues here. In other words, so, if you don't have problems with IVF or PGD, yeah. then there there this is this is a this is a kind of a. I don't know, a media thing where people are pushing this really, really hard. So,
0: David, despite the reservations of people within the scientific community, nevertheless, at the summit that John has referred to, there was no moratorium. There was no interdiction. People do want to keep doing this. And uh, therefore, we need to address these questions. Well, of
1: course we do. And uh, I think what we should really do is just look across our neighbouring sea, just a few miles from here and ask, what has the UK done about it? And years ago, they produced an extraordinary report, the Warnock Report, which is now nearly forgotten, but it was a wonderful report. And they eventually set up something called the HFEA, the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Agency. And all these sorts of questions are dealt with by that agency, and it has the power, uh, for example, to uh, approve or or disapprove of this kind of work anywhere in the UK, Mm -hmm. within or without the the, uh, National Health Service, uh, so, this sort of question is addressed by them, and they make decisions about, for example, what you talked about in the uh, earlier on about the you know the the, fur, the embryo which had three parents, yeah. and they approved of that because there was a medical reason for it so uh, but there's a
0: medical reason for this stuff. there
1: isn't. That is the absolutely fundamental Ah. point. And John and I, so far as I can understand it, are in complete agreement on this. There is not a medical reason for this in embryos. There is a perfectly good technology which needs to be improved. It's called PJD. Let's get on with it. Let's improve that. And let's not, and I suspect that this is what will happen in Britain, uh, that they will not permit um, uh, germline gene editing. And I suspect they will never permit it. The reason being, by the way, that if you are to... uh, uh, to uh, approve uh, germline gene editing you have to be sure that the embryo that you are reimplanting implanting into the womb has no off-target serious yeah. mutations they will not be able to do that without sequencing the entire genome of that uh-huh. embryo and that's 6 billion units of genetic information which have to be analyzed with great precision now even if you uh, i mean you can this will in my my prediction is that this will not be applied to germline uh, to germline cells in Britain, right. and it won't be applied, in my view, in other countries such as Denmark and whatever. So we should forget about that and just regard this as hype. And that conference, which John <laughs> John talked about, all the people at that conference need, and I'm going to be very straightforward about this, they need funding for their work.
0: Right. We're talking about gene editing this morning and the ethical questions around it. And in studio with me, Dave McConnells, Professor of Genetics at Trinity College Dublin, Jerry Casey, Professor of Philosophy at UCD, and Dr. John Waterstone, Medical Director of the Waterstone Fertility Clinic. And on the line now is Pat Clark, who has been an active member, chairperson, and very recently retired Chief Executive of Down Syndrome Ireland. Good morning, Pat.
4: Good morning, Sarah. Now, to Pat, all you've, your panel <laughs>
0: oh, you've been listening now patiently yes, to the conversation there, and You know, Down syndrome is one of these inherited um, conditions. And I was reading some figures last night in other countries, particularly America. You know, people get screened often in in utero and they choose to terminate a a Down syndrome uh, baby. We're now looking at the kind of technology where you'd be screened before there's a baby in the womb, that this would happen in an IVF clinic. And there might be a chance to to fix some of these genes. Uh, Dave McConnell is shaking his head. And I know we're still talking that this is down the line, but we're coming closer to it every day. What do you think of this technology and its implications for repairing these genes?
4: <coughs> Excuse me. I think that um, from my listening to earlier reports and from other uh, discussions that I've listened to over there the, since this was announced uh, that as far as uh, t- children with Down syndrome or babies with Down syndrome, fetuses with Down syndrome, uh, this p- present technology would not would not be suitable at this point in time. It would need to be significantly further developed. What they were talking about was a single gene. Yes. Um, and I think there is a, a multiple of different problems that would go with, with children with Down syndrome. I was very interested to hear um that there is no particular medical reason for this a uh, particular therapy and that uh, it's not sort of licensed anywhere else but science is is, is moving far quicker than society can uh, afford to keep up with at this point in time uh, the other thing i would think is that if we've got pjd which was uh, something that i was remotely familiar with but it's got been much more explained there this morning if that is the case then certainly I think that there is a viable alternatives which could be used. You are right that internationally, uh, there is um, pressure put on mothers, expectant mothers to have screening tests and particularly across Europe. And we've recently learned that the only baby born with Down syndrome in the last five years in Iceland was a, a mother who came to the country as a refugee and was expecting a baby by the time she arrived. And across Europe, I would have friends, expectant mothers and others, who are constantly put under pressure by their uh, physicians to have a screening test. Um, and this may be for to protect themselves, but also, uh, we, even though governments would appear to deny the fact that they are, uh, this is government policy, uh, there is prima facie evidence that this is, is, in fact, a government policy in certain countries across Europe.
0: And what approach do you take to this idea that where there is a medical problem with the baby, that it's better to use some method to spare that baby and that family uh, physical or psychological suffering? So those with conditions that can be eliminated should be eliminated.
4: I would question whether that would be ethically Uh, appropriate or not. I think it has to be down to particular uh, family decisions that they are going to have to make within the family if they can. And if there is a medical condition that can be treated, well then yes, Down syndrome is not particularly a medical condition. It can lead to certain medical conditions but not in all cases uh, will it do so. So I think if there is a particular medical condition and we are aware that uh, in utero certain conditions can be uh, fixed so to speak, by inter- medical interventions, heart problems and other respiratory problems can be fixed in, in utero. But uh, from the point of view of, of editing genes, et cetera, I think that's uh, in a different kettle of fish. And I think that if you've got, a, if people are having a problem uh, conceiving and if they have feel that there is a, a significant risk of them having a certain condition, then I think the use of PJD that was mentioned earlier would be a more acceptable way of uh, progressing that situation.
0: If, now, and this is a hard question now, maybe not a fair one, but if, if, if you were starting your family now, and I know your son has Down syndrome, and these opportunities for screening uh, were available, let's say now prior to um, actual pregnancy, you know, so it's not about termination. Um, versus birth. It's about the opportunity at embryonic stage in a lab to um, eliminate the embryos that have various conditions including Down syndrome. Would you have availed of that or what do you think?
4: Uh, well if it was in a lab scenario and if we were if we were going through an IVF and, and if the embryos were, uh, had not been implanted but I mean it's a different kettle of fish where you know if in the main you will go around, you will go down that route if there is a, an inherent predisposition to a particular condition, mm. like cystic fibrosis, like um, Huntington's, etc. Uh, down syndrome is not in that category. There is a very limited um, number of people, a very, very small percentage of people who would have a very high risk of having a child with Down syndrome. It doesn't. So that's where it's an entirely different situation. Yeah. Um, I think if it, was, if it were a case that the, all of this would have been available back over 36 years ago and we had the possi- we had a, a predisposition to a certain condition and of which Down syndrome would not be one of those, then I think a lot of families might consider going down that route.
0: Yeah. Okay, Pat, I will leave it there for this morning. Thanks a million for joining us. Um, Thank you, Sarah. Jared Casey, one of the things that struck me was, and Pat just referred to it there, so there are couples, say that might come to John Waterstone here, they may discover by one means or another that they have a a high risk of having a baby with one of these genetic conditions, okay? So they know they probably should get the IVF and get the screening. But then for something like Down syndrome, you never know. Like that's just, Mm. uh, what is it, one in a thousand or something shot that that might happen and is nothing particularly to do with the genes of either parent, but then would it become the smart thing to do that even if you don't know what your genes are like, you decide to conceive your babies by IVF anyway. So you can take advantage of PG, PGD, you know, because why, why take the risk? And it all becomes about access and access is a point now. And then there does become a division in society between those who are smart and rich and get everything checked out at embryonic stage in a lab and then the lesser mortals who do this weird Neanderthal thing of conceiving babies naturally and yeah. taking a
3: chance. <laughs> well, we're back to we're back to Aldous Huxley. Well, No, right? we're all the laughing, 19th. no, but, no, but I it's think. it's you know it's it's the Aldous Huxley thing where you know where, yeah. where people are horrified at the idea that anybody would actually have a baby naturally this is like disgusting and ridiculous and so on whereas we have the nice clean way of doing it. It's 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 science fiction stuff. It's not going to happen. But there there are there are there are related and interesting issues right yeah. one has to do so so far we've been talking largely about therapeutic issues mm. in other words the use of this whether it would ever work uh, and so on and i mean i agree with my colleagues here i i, I think it's probably not going to happen and and given what they've said about pgd by the way because the g stands for gene <laughs> not j uh, uh, so uh that that, that it's unnecessary but nonetheless uh the 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 intention so far. And the, the selling point, if I can use that, I don't yes. need to be crude, right? Yeah. The way in which it's pitched. And it's very understandable. And I, I mean, I do really sympathize. Anyone who has or has relatives who have the, I mean, you know, it's enormously emotionally invested. And they would want this. You, you could see why you would yeah. want that, right? But so the, the primary aspect, if you like, by which, by which this is being sold is therapeutic. What about enhancement?
0: Exactly. It's Editing in. Yeah. Editing in other words, in.
3: where, where it's, it's assuming, now we're presenting from the discussion we've had so far, right? We, so, yeah. Let's assume we, there weren't any problems and we could do it and there, there weren't, you know, uh, random mutations down the line that caused more problems and so on and people were... So on. What about if you were a part of the elite in a sort of science fiction Gattaca thing where you wanted to produce, uh, uh, your, you know, the super... You wanted your son or daughter to be the best athlete or uh, an IQ 50% higher than average or whatever and again assuming is I a mean, yeah. huge assumption that you could do all this i mean would that be ethical would you would you designer would you have designed a baby and here i i think my answer would probably be strange to you in the sense we already do this in, in what the sense, way we already do this in the way in which we pick our partners yeah in other words and the way the way we do we do it in the same way in which I guess, again, I don't want to sound really crude yeah. here, in which, people, in which animals breed. In other words, we, okay, you look around the world, you see, you're talking about dogs, right? No, I'm trying got, to remember. We've got was all it sorts of dogs.
0: Philosopher, was it Schopenhauer or somebody who said that what you do is you meet someone and in the first 20 seconds, you realise that they can compensate for your various genetic. I don't um, think
3: you can do that. But, <laughs> but it, it, does seem to be, it does seem to be the case that a large element of sexual attraction has to do with something which is rooted deep in us and it's not, if you like, intellectually understood. Well, about, I'm
0: about. I'm I'm a pixie, and when I brought my future husband home, my grandmother did say, "Thank God, she's going to introduce some height back into the gene pool." <laughs> so there was nothing. Wrong.
3: One, <laughs> but the rest of us so, don't know. If you're okay, let, let me put it this way: if if you're if you're a man and you're very wealthy, you know, the chances of finding somebody who's better a female, better looking than average, yeah. is probably higher than if you're not. That's true. All right. Uh, okay, and similarly, if if you're, if you're an exceptionally good looking woman, your chance of marrying, as they used to say, up, mm. okay, either to somebody who is re- relatively wealthy or whatever, is also increased. Oh, now, Jared, but this assumes that looks actually I, I, count. I, no, no, well, yeah, <laughs> indeed. That's indeed, assuming there's even that element of rationality. But
0: I think you're right. I think we do take those things already in hand. But, but I just want to come back briefly, though, to David. I'm surprised <laughs> at your skepticism that this won't become, um, perhaps not mainstream, but at least seen as a legitimate therapeutic procedure. Well, because be honest, yeah. I, I can see how it will be extraordinarily tempting and why there was no moratorium introduced at that summit. John wants to get back in, but I'll let you answer yeah, the point. I, I, first.
1: Well, first of all, I think we really need to talk about those uh, countries which uh, seriously consider these sorts of matters and not worry about what goes on. You know, there is there's slavery in, in certain countries. Which yes. is overlooked. You know, so let, let's not worry about, for the sake of the, uh, this discussion anyway, about yeah. what might happen somewhere else. I'm concerned about what might happen in, broadly speaking, the most sophisticated, most scientifically aware, most medically caring countries that we know about. So the Scandinavian countries, Britain, Ireland, and so on and so forth. That's what we should be worrying about. And here, I think, um, I am quite sure, that what I said is going to hold. I, I don't believe that we are going to have on the NHS or either in Britain or Ireland this kind of technology, because there is already a very good technology. I now had to say this three times.
0: Yeah, but some people and don't think disposing of um, defective embryos is a good technology. No, I'm technology. sorry. I'm,
1: I'm, uh, Jared said Was at it? the beginning, yeah. and I agree with him, I don't think we should get into the morality okay. of, of the moral status of the embryo, because that's a different question. But on and, the broad assumption that a very large number of people, and indeed the general political will, as it were, as established in the UK and to, I think, a high degree uh, mirrored here in Ireland and certainly in Scandinavia and so on, uh, this uh, PGD is, broadly speaking, now a matter for the individual parents concerned and the state is not intervening, except to say, as in Britain, that you're not allowed to use PGD for sex selection, as an example. We haven't talked about that yet. But this is, in fact, a a simple application of uh, PGD, although you can do it by other methods as well. So sex selection is illegal in Britain, made illegal by the HFEA, and it should be made illegal in Ireland, and I suspect it's illegal in most of the other countries that I have mentioned. So uh, let's, uh, let's ask, however, a slightly different question. Uh, is CRISPR important in medicine? Yeah. And it is, in my opinion, a very important prospect in somatic medicine, mm-hmm. and we've dealt with that. And a lot of the people who are now carrying out research who are at that conference and so on, uh, I suspect that their main objectives lie in somatic therapies rather than in germline therapies. They're probably all aware of the difficulties that uh, John and I and Jared have identified this morning. So, for example, sickle cell anemia is one of the biggest public health problems in West Africa. It's a very serious problem in West Africa. A high proportion of children in West Africa are born with full-blown sickle cell anemia. This is a very serious condition. If, for example, by uh, somatic gene Uh, editing, we were able to find a a relatively inexpensive and and effective treatment of sickle cell anemia and were able to introduce that. That's the sort of thing Bill Gates should do in West Africa. That would be a wonderful contribution. So let's focus on what's possible rather than what's uh, hypothetical. On the science fiction. The, yeah.
0: um, John, uh, John Waterstone, um, so one of the divisions that has arisen in this conversation is, I suppose, viability versus science fiction. And uh, you want to make a point about that, questioning the viability of these kinds of technologies maybe.
2: Well, as we yeah. have, both David and myself have said yeah. already in this conversation, we both feel that their PGD is a better way of doing the same job of allowing couples who have been identified as being at high genetic and risk. And just to
0: recap, PGD is when you um uh, you don't use uh, defective embryos when they've yes. been diagnosed so in the lab during IVF. So you don't try to make
2: defective, genetically defective for this particular gene. Yeah. You don't try to make them normal. You just choose between the good ones and the bad ones, which these couples will inevitably produce, mm. which to me, there is no risk involved. Uh, and therefore, why would you want to take chances with it with a technology which might cause harm when you've got a technology that works just as well, that has been proven already.
0: Well, then why at the conference that we talked about earlier, where uh, this idea of gene editing you not know, being able to repair defective embryos uh, was discussed, um, that there was no ban proposed on, this,
2: um, I, on these procedures? I am surprised, but I mean, look, if anybody who cares to look at it on, on Google will be interested to see there was a, a very great variety of... of, of uh, attitudes expressed about you know the advisability of using a germline gene editing for human beings. Uh, but if I might just quote, yes. they range from the most conservative who felt that the, that the whole idea of using it for reproductive purposes should be completely banned worldwide by the United Nations. That was the most conservative a- approach expressed. Yeah. But the people who were most bullish about it and weren't just talking about using it to fix identified severe genetic disease, but were actually using it in a science fiction type way, in, in, a, in a way which would make the eugenics of the 20th century seem like child's play. Uh, those views are expressed also. And I might just quote one. Somebody, a scientist who attended that summit, um, was quoted as saying, uh, human gene editing provides a means of evolving by a process more rational and much quicker than Darwinian evolution. Yeah. What is clear is that we will at some point have to escape both beyond our fragile planet and beyond our fragile nature. <laughs> one way to enhance our capacity to do both these things is by improving on human nature. <laughs> now That's the ideation of somebody who attended our conference. I okay, think...
0: <laughs> all right then. So let's. I'm going to then park the gene editing, right? And if I if I take uh, David and John's argument, look, this this isn't feasible, and um, certainly in the medium term, because PGT, the idea of just simply not using the defective embryos at all, is the far more realistic one. So let's focus then on that. And John mentioned you. Okay. And I actually did just look up last night to see what exactly eugenics um, was being defined as. So one definition the study or belief in the possibility of improving the qualities of the human species or human population, especially by such means as discouraging reproduction by persons having genetic defects or presumed to have inheritable, undesirable traits or encouraging reproduction by persons presumed to have inheritable, desirable traits. So let's talk about PGD Derek Casey in that context. That is eliminating uh, potential human beings with the undesirable uh, traits that uh, are not necessarily wanted. So, um, you know, is it ethical?
3: Yeah. Well, okay. Now the see the, the word even the word eugenics now has a wonderful ring to it. But it's associated as. But a, is that what this is? Is with,
0: PGD eugenics?
3: Oh, well, it is. I mean, when it was okay, I mean, it was all the great and the good from about 1880 until 1945. Okay, yeah. were in favor of genetics, I and mean, I can give you a big long list. Okay, of individuals, writers, authors, yeah. scientists. Politicians and so on. And there's both negative and positive. And, and of course, the methods then, we're not talking about like cell, uh, g- gene therapy. We're, do- we're talking in about discouraging populations, I mean, in very crude ways. Okay, doing what Well, Sweden it so was on. sterilizing. And then so yeah. in yeah. the United States, and indeed yeah. Hitler wrote to the United States, people who were doing it there congratulating him on their thing. And so, so it had a really, really bad name. Leave all that to one side yeah. for a moment, okay? Other things being equal okay, if the methods you're using aren't ethically problematic, then it is better to have good human beings, healthy human beings than not. Yes. Right? I mean, that's would seem to me self-evidently true. And we we, we do every, once we have our children, we try to to improve them as best we can through education. Eugenics is attempting, if you like, to improve the base material and so on. And uh, so, so that we start off, uh, if you like, as high up as we possibly can. In and of itself, that's not necessarily problematic. What has to do, what is problematic, is whether the methods you're using to do this are ethically acceptable. Now, this brings us back, and I don't really want to dwell on it, and so on. But for those of us, for example, like myself, who had problems, who would have problems with IVF or PGD, right? Then the ethical problem lies there, not with what people are intending to do, but the methods are doing. Other people don't have an ethical problem with it, and so we—that's where we differ. But it's not as if. In eugenics, in the old fashioned eugenics, where you're where in the extreme case you were actually killing people, okay? Or not treating them or putting them, you know, and so yeah. on. So that's the, the bad thing. So it is a complex thing and you have to be you have to be careful of the emotional impact so of D- the term.
0: Dave McConnell, so what is the difference between, say, medicine, in which we cure and treat disease, and PGD, which is about not allowing those people with these defects or diseases to be born? Is it eugenics? Poor John Waterstone's going well, to have a nervous I mean, breakdown. I promise I'll I let think, you back think, in on I it.
1: think you need to be careful using the word not allowing these people to be born. These people, uh, well. Pache Gerard, but for me, an, an embryo is not a person. Okay. So let's start with that. Yeah. So what we're talking about is choosing embryos uh, uh, which are, are likely to be more healthy than embryos which are likely to be significantly less healthy, and that's where PGD is at the moment. I, I don't see an ethical problem with that. I think it is part of medicine. Now, the key difference between uh, modern, I think, ethical approaches to that and the approaches that you were referring to earlier is that uh, you know, nineteen hundred 1900 to nineteen forty-five, uh, and even persisting after that in some countries, um, is who makes the choices, mm-hmm. who makes the decisions, and. Today, these decisions should be made by the people who are directly involved, in you know, other words, mum and dad, and not by the state and not by doctors. And I was very sorry to hear Pat Casey talk about... Pat the Clark. Pressure, Clark. Clark, excuse yeah. me. Uh, the pressure may uh, put on people at risk of Down syndrome, say, mother's age and all that, um, to have tests and so on and so forth. That, we, that I consider unethical. Uh, I consider it immoral. It should be illegal. Uh, whereas, on the other hand, I do think that people should be offered, uh, should be, they should have the information. This is a something called non-directive so genetic counselling. It's where people should have the information, and the parents themselves should, uh, by and large, uh, make the decisions.
0: Yeah, but John Waterstone, behavioural economists will talk about choice architecture. You know, and if the choice architecture is that there is a possibility for these children never to be born you have the opportunity to have screening done at pre-implantation stage. So uh, the societal pressure that Pat Clark told about possibly to have screenings and terminations for Down syndrome very easily transfers then to all these other conditions and it becomes standard in society that only a terrible person would allow such a child to be born.
2: Uh. (laughs) You're making, <laughs> Sorry, you're making a leap into a, a future scenario which is very unlikely to materialise. IVF, as I know my, myself, yeah. it's expensive and it's not terribly successful even people in people who are relatively fertile. Sometimes people think if you do IVF on somebody who has no identified fertility problem, it'll work so much better than somebody who, who has an identified difficulty in becoming pregnant. But that's not necessarily the case. It's not that much easier. It doesn't always work and it's expensive. A lot of people can't even afford it. A lot of people that I see one of my worst quandaries in my job as medical director of an IVF unit, we have a successful program but not everybody gets pregnant. Uh, And one of my heartbreaking moments is I see somebody and and the first treatment cycle has not produced a baby for them. Uh, They would very much like to have a second one but they're struggling to afford it because it's not state funded. I mean, so people's Financial situation will hold back people getting reproducing through IVF when they don't need to. I don't see a future where people will be willy nilly re- reproducing through through IVF and then genetically testing the, the embryos. I don't think that's that's likely to happen. What I yes. would like to say as a, yeah. as a final thing yeah. today is to reiterate this 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 concept that David and I share is that PGD really is the is the way forward. And 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 I'd like to say and it's particularly pertinent right now because you may or may not be aware, but but comprehensive legislation and regulations governing reproductive medicine in this country have been lacking so far. The have they still
0: not brought in the anything? The Department of
2: Health has been working away in secret uh, yeah. and I must say I would decry the process involved because we they haven't even sought any advice from the people who are experts in the area. They are, uh, apparently have almost formulated a, set, a draft set of legislation but... I would like to say to any of those legislators who are listening, we certainly need provisions for PGD in this country and it needs to be funded because it's most unfair in my mind that the couples at genetic risk who are proactive and who actually go out and they spend the 10,000 or 12,000 euros it costs for a PGD cycle, they get no state support whatsoever. Whereas people who are, if you like, I don't want to be flippant, but reproductively more careless and who don't bother and who then possibly produce a baby with a lifelong genetic condition, I mean, that imposes suffering on the unfortunate child, guilt on the, on the parents mm. and a big bill because long term chronic care for these people is hundreds of thousands, if not millions of euros. I think the people who are proactive, they need help and it, it's morally wrong for the state not to help them.
0: And, you know, that's a whole other programme and I might get you all back for that. Unfortunately, I have to wrap it for this morning. So many thanks to my guests, um, Aidan McKelvey, researched and produced. Thank you for listening.